KCRHD1. This is Jazz Alternatives. My name is Mitch Goldman. Welcome to the studios WKCR. Welcome back, Gary Lucas. I'm so honored to be back here, Mitch. Thank <laughs> oh, you for inviting me. This is going to be fun. Yeah. We call the show Deep Focus. What we do, we have a guest come in the studio, uh, a person, generally speaking, of great esteem, wow. worldly knowledge, uh, often uh, on occasion, even a noted composer, mm. somebody who's uh, created new, original, previously heretofore unheard things on their instrument of choice, a uh, person of dash and daring do and spectacular. How am I uh, going to live this down now? <laughs> Come on, man. And what all of that, all what? of that is true you... tonight, Gary Lucas. And, well, uh, we're, and that person, that guest, chooses an artist on whom we will turn our sights of exploration. Yes. And you have chosen a doozy tonight. Well, my favorite, I would say, uh, jazz composer, the great Charles Mingus. Already, already. It's going to be a home run. Yeah, I can tell already it's going to be a home run. No. Uh, <laughs> I got a good feeling about this yeah, one. Yeah, no, no. What's not to like? Mingus is, in my book, absolutely at the top. I mean, maybe if you really want to look at a pantheon, you'd put Duke Ellington as number one. Who I think was Mingus's great inspiration. Yeah, and Mingus, of course, composed many tributes to Duke and actually played in his band until he was run out of the band for pulling a knife on Juan Tizal, but or it was vice versa. That... There's a lot of outrageous stories about Mingus, as you know. I could tell you a couple, but they're, they're not firsthand. Even back then, that kind of thing was frowned upon yeah apparently yeah i think you know he was ostracized and duke drew himself up and said charles charles we can't have this in my band charles. well i think we have to so, thank juan tizol and duke ellington for sending mingus on his way because yeah. the sooner he got going that got him the going. Band and composing right. the better for us and uh what a great composer what can i say i can't think of another outside of ellington Another jazz composer left so many classics in his wake. Yeah. And uh, they're beloved and reinterpreted constantly all over the world. And, and like Ellington also, I think he often used the ensemble as his instrument. Definitely. Definitely. The, the ensemble breathes like Mingus. You always know it's Mingus's groups. When you, yeah. I mean, they really... How does he do that, even when he's not playing? Oh, <laughs> it comes I, through. Some of it, I, I think, I mean, if you look at the actual mechanics, was he was a big 
believer in collective improvisation, which you might also call Dixieland, under another guise, uh, and that he was not, and he was also into teaching parts through you know vocalizing or getting on the instruments themselves, and instead of writing out charts. It's funny. I think about it. You know, the generations that when they were doing that music, the Dixieland, the people that created that music were still around, but that music was really largely out of favor. I would think in his generation, it was considered really uh, old fogeyish. But the ideas behind it, which was to improvise within the form as you're playing these, running down these themes, and adding your own touches to the soloing was a brilliant move. Instead of, okay, here's the head, <laughs> and now here's the chorus, now we're gonna have some solos from this guy in this section, now we're gonna focus the... And you knew, it's like that guy, then that so, guy, then that guy, then a little eight bars of drums, and right. back to the head. No, but with Mingus' stuff, it's completely organic and almost freeform, I mean, it represents life. It mirrors a more realistic image of life as we know it. Uh, in the moment. I like that. And as bluesy as anybody who ever walked the earth. Well, we're going to hear some great examples of it tonight. Um, If you're accustomed to hearing Charles Mingus studio recordings, some of them are really uh, thoroughly articulated. And sometimes the live sets go get pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. And we've got a range of stuff, and it's, it's, it's exciting. And this is live recordings that have never been released and uh, not not available at your local Sam Goodies. Boots! <laughs> but <laughs> from the WKCR archives. And uh, we're going to start out, and also uh, I'll just mention now, but uh, we'll go into this more a little bit later, that um, we'd set aside this programming time to remember the great Hammy Blewett, who yes. was a brilliant baritone saxophonist and composer and innovator in so many ways and teacher and uh, brought so much to the last couple generations of this music. Um, Fortunately for us, he was in Mingus's band early in his career, and uh, you can hear a lot of his ideas that became much more familiar in his work, like the World Saxophone Quartet stuff that we were listening to, in these live Mingus recordings, and it's it's thrilling, and he is such a dominant and explosive soloist. Mm. Um, so a, a tip of the cap to Mr. Blewett as well. But uh, so he'll be through and through on these sets, and uh, we got a special surprise coming up from you, Gary Lucas, ah. which I'm excited about. Ah, I'm excited. <laughs> and um, so let's get in the WKCR chopper and fly to Ravenna, Italy. July of 1974. So this is, you're going to hear some live European festival performances. You're also going to hear some wild nightclub performances. And uh, maybe you'll even be able to smell the difference between them. I think it's it's definitely a a pretty wide range. Um, So yeah, let's hear a little bit of Cy Johnson's We, a favorite of Mingus's. And the players here, this was... Mingus's group at this time in the 70s was constantly evolving, but this is a core section of it right yes. here. Uh, you got Don Pullen on piano. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That man is a 
one the, man the one man symphony. The bridge between Art Tatum <laughs> and Cecil Taylor. George Adams spitting fire on tenor saxophone, yes. blew it as we mentioned on Barry sax, and the good doctor is back in his throne. Danny Richmond. Yes, on the drums, and Ming is of course playing the bass. So. It's it's the twenty seven Yankees here. Yeah, no, all stars. <laughs> Shall we? Yes. Yes, Ravenna. I've been there. Music from Charles Mingus. It's deep focus on WKCR. <laughs> Thank you. 
Charles Mingus on stage in Ravenna, Italy.
Rocca Brancaleone in July of 1974 and in the company of uh, some young killers. Really? Killers? <laughs> the show's called Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman. I'm so happy to be here in the studio with Gary Lucas. And uh, speaking of people who uh, make their instruments do things that um, they were probably never imagined to do by the people who created them, um, Gary, what are you hearing listening to this set? You know, the first tune, the Cy Johnson tune, who, by the way, is one of Mingus's oldest arrangers and played piano sometimes in the ensemble. I was reminded of the tune Bluesette. I don't know if you know this jazz standard that was recorded by Toots Thielman, probably one of the better-known versions. I heard those changes. But I'm cursed with pattern recognition uh, up the wazoo. I mean, I absorbed so much music over so many years that something is always reminding me of something <laughs> else. Uh, and I, you know, I see these patterns and overlap. And then the question is, who begat what, or who, what was the or, you know, recording or the original inspiration and all this stuff. But it was great because whatever the changes were, they were quickly dispensed with and then these guys rocketed into outer space with this fantastic double horn soloing where you yeah. couldn't really tell yeah. who was Hamiet Bouillet and who was... Was George Adams. George Adams. I mean, they were dovetailing and all over each other, and it was like a dogfight. Yeah. It was unbelievable. The, so. You know, the classic yeah. quintet would probably be a tenor, or alto saxophone, and a trumpet, and that was often the case in Mingus's small groups. Yeah. And here we've got the tenor and Barry Sachs, Adams and Blewett, and both of them, especially Blewett, but really both of them with the extended techniques, the extended uh, oh, range yeah. of the instruments. And, I mean, Blewett is at times damn near sounds like... I, I tell you something that comes to mind. I remember one time hearing one of Blewett's groups at uh, Sweet Basil many years ago, and... I had my back to the stage at one point, and they were playing a Dizzy Gillespie tune. I think, I feel like it might have been Manteca. And I hear, you know, there's a break, and I hear Dizzy come in on trumpet, and my head whips around. It wasn't just the range, it was the tone, and it was like the note selection. It didn't just sound like a trumpet, it sounded like Dizzy. Yeah. And I whipped my head around, it was blue it. And, you know, they're, yeah, they're, uh, it's a very interesting choice of Mingus putting this group together this way, and Blewett and Adams are... Well, it's, it's pretty avant-garde. Of all the Mingus groups, this could be the most yeah. avant-garde in a way. I mean, in terms of the soloing, and then Don Pullen. Yeah, Pullen, wow. Just like all over the piano, just like slicing and dicing the keyboard. And young, they're young guys, too. They're yeah. all, and, uh, you know, and it's that there's... I don't know, you think that's... Is that fair to say that there's like kind of a little... Different, it's a little different game. What uh, younger players? Maybe I mean, th perhaps there was. Or is a, it just a stylistic thing? You I think? I don't know. Or? I think he probably Mingus said, "Just do your thing. You know, go out there and like you know, play what you feel." And these guys obviously were out to just tear the roof off the sucker and yeah. you know, just stomp all over everything in their path with their soloing. And then you have the beautiful rhythm section of Mingus and Danny Richmond grooving and tying it together. 
with nothing to prove, really. They don't have to really showboat on their instruments. Yeah. But when you listen, I mean, Richmond's drumming is as explosive as yeah. anything. Yeah. So, and Megas is, is always solid and, you know, an yeah, amazing. Yeah, his chops are no his, joke either. Yeah. I mean, he's... No, but was never like a flashy, you know, in your... I mean, so I, it's really, it's amazing to hear this because I would say this represents some of the most outside Megas within us more or less traditional framework. Yeah, and so it? far we're hearing pretty traditional compositions. Yeah. And, and Goodbye Pork Pie Hat, which was up number two, was beautifully rendered, albeit a little fast for my tender sensibilities. I always preferred the language. Right. We, we tend to think of that as yeah. a, a ballad, and it's famously written in memory of Lester Young. Yeah. And you kind of anticipate that sort of, uh, you know, Cool blowing, right? To sort of like, a, and, yeah, understated. But this is this had a very militant <laughs> tempo, I would say, and they were the horns were really locked into their thing, which presages World Saxophone Quartet. I was yeah, reminded yeah. with their like you know harmonic lockup there. So very impressive recasting of one of Mingus's classic tunes. But he was a big recaster, you know what I mean? Yes. He has, I'm reminded of that Mingus, 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 Mingus album. Five Minguses, you know, <laughs> which recorded, I believe, at the sa a lot of it on the same day as Black Saint and the Sinner, Sinner Lady, which is my all-time favorite Mingus album. That, and pretty much every tune on that album is like a restatement <laughs> of... Earlier Mingus themes, but with different titles, and reorchestrated, but beautiful. And then, unless I was to tell you this, you might not even notice it. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, some people will knock Mingus and say he. No, just, no, no, no. I'm. A, I'm, no. I'm not saying I, you were saying. I would that. not do it. I'd just say he was. He was good on a recycling. Of I mean, but who isn't? I mean, among us. Yeah, you know, good idea is a good idea, and you can recast ideas and new frameworks, and uh, you know, reinvent the wheel. Sometimes you kind of invented that uh, open architecture sort of idea. There's this framework, and different people can be fit into it. And yeah, the idea modular, yeah, jazz workshop. Yeah, the whole idea. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the fact that he would have a working unit called the jazz workshop. So you knew, like, if you were going to go to one of their live gigs, it would be something spontaneous and fresh. It would be, like, living and in the, you know, it's just, he was such a great uh, force of nature in music. Yeah. I mean, and passionate. We're in Italy, Ravenna, Italy, summer of 1974. Summer of 1974, Gary, I don't know uh, if you are the kind of person who, uh, locks things into dates and times in your life or in history. I, I was a history major in school, oh, actually. Wow. There were some very significant things happening in the summer of 1974. Yes. And uh, presidential politics, which has been a, yeah. a bit of a topic of late. No, by no, people no. Telling that me. was the Nixon resignation moment. Richard Nixon was stepping down That's within a matter of weeks of the time of this recording. And a favorite of... Many Mingus fans, uh, both the instrumental version 
as well as the uh, vocalizing versions of Fables of Faubus, right? Which was has a great uh, political underscore, like a lot of Mingus's music, and it's uh, slightly recast. It's Fables of Nixon. Fables of Nixon, which is not imagine necessarily... if like Mingus was around today, <laughs> I, what he do with the imagine. present moment I, and. And presidential I, <laughs> politics. Well, it the was mind boggles. It was uh, it was big topic. Um, do we need to say anything more? And then they go into this fantastic. No surprise, what comes next? Right. Um, and maybe we should just oh, we can let, it and, well, let it play. Well, we're gonna let it rip. We're gonna let it rip. There, uh, there's music here. You can appreciate just as a pure, raw, abstract musical. Enjoyment. You can also, um, if you want to, uh, engage with the things that were happening in that moment and all the years before. There's a whole subtext going on here as well. So maybe we'll let you hear it afresh first. I'm almost certain you've never heard this live recording. Um, it's not something that has been widely circulated, but we have it here for you tonight. Great. Part of Deep Focus. Gary Lucas is our guest. Gary is going to perform. Oh, I can't wait. I better go practice in the other room. (laughs) This is a thrill. This is a thrill. Um, And uh, yeah, let's go back to Ravenna. I'm Mitch Goldman. It's WKCR. Deep Focus with guest Gary Lucas.
not deceive you <laughs> oh no no not yet not yet we will but not yet um yes that is uh charles mingus that was unbelievable <laughs> that was great that was great what was he saying there 
What is the end? Two, four, six, eight. Why don't talk about Watergate? <laughs> that like was that. Uh, right. so. That song, Fables of Faubus. Yeah, you know the yes. Orville Faubus was the governor of Arkansas. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was a he intervened in a segregation, a desegregation move, and tried to block it. And so Mingus memorialized this racist governor what, what with Fables them, of Faubus. Right? What makes them? So ridiculous. Yeah. That's that's the words behind the, that's right. uh, that melody. That's right. What and makes them so ridiculous? But uh, so, done mostly instrumental, but yeah. a little little uh, recasting well, for the of the moment. Summer of nineteen seventy four was when the first time in American history that the president stepped down from office yes. because he was so uh, got caught with his uh, right. hand in the cookie jar. Yeah. Among other things. And um that was not going to escape the notice of our leader, Charles Mingus, on the session from Ravenna, Italy, uh, Emilia Romana, region of Italy, and uh, summer of 1974, in the company of uh, fabulous better. better, yeah, ensemble here, the rhythm section of Don Pollen on piano and Danny Richmond on drums with Charles Mingus's bass, and up front, George Adams on tenor saxophone, and the wonderful, always new, invigorating, uh, a brilliant Hamiet Blewett on baritone He's saxophone. Unbelievable. And, you know, it's funny hearing him. You know, he's done so much since then. We're marking his. He, he left passed us, away. Passed away last week. And uh, this time of jazz program has been set aside and new music programming as well, um, playing music that he participated in he did so many groundbreaking original things after this that we don't tend to think of Blewett in the context of Mingus but I can't think of anyone more you know anyone you hear in that chair sounds like a Mingus musician even you know Eric Dolphy playing Eric Dolphy music sounds like a Mingus player yes. in Mingus's band and that's just as true hearing Blewett doing this and the way he's interlocking with these compositions that were around. Beautiful. You know, they, they were written years before he joined the band, but they sound like... Really fresh, know. really reinvigorated with these younger players. The tempos are, as I yeah. mentioned before, militant. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. really, you know... Not even just up-tempo, which they are, but there is almost a... They're pushing it, man. It's, yeah. like, great. It's, uh, they have such energy and... Uh, I don't think I've ever heard a Mingus live ensemble with three players all playing out at the same time. That was something new for me with well, like you know, Pullen, yeah. Adams, and uh, Hamian. He, I yeah. think he probably has the ability to do that partly because of what he's bringing on the bass and what Danny Richmond's doing on the drums. Yes, they're anchoring the whole thing together. And, yeah, anything, anything. It would else fly does. away. And so it still fits. It's beautifully over the top. In part, and it's great. not like it's a, uh, Poland on piano can, you know, reinforce yeah. those chords and well, no. One know. of the greatest, largely unsung among you know, many people don't know Don Poland, but oh my one of the heaviest guys ever to tickle the ivories. So true. Yeah. Um, let me take a little moment to tell you: you are listening to WKCR FM New York, WKCR HD One. Maybe you find us on WKCR.org. You can tell the folks in 
Kokomo and Kankakee. <laughs> That's where we I'm are. Those caves. And uh, my name is Mitch Goldman. The show's called Deep Focus, and now you know why. This is what we do. We find, uh, we invite a guest. We have the fantastic Gary oh, yeah. Lucas here, and beside him, shining like the <laughs> Mississippi Delta. Shining like <laughs> this is a Paul Simon moment. Oh, oh, beautiful, beautiful steel guitar. Was that a quote from Graceland? Oh, I don't know. Right, well. Paul borrows a lot of his best material from me. But um, uh, and uh, you just you just knocked my words right out of my head. That was my act of. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people like to thank you for that. But um, so yeah, Gary's here, and by Gary's choice, we are diving deep in some live recordings of Charles, Charles Mangus. Mangus. So, uh, and coming up next in this set, and I might have to uh, set this aside for the moment for a special treat, but... Um, oh, you could do it any order you want to run this, I'm man. beguiled, Gary. I'm uh, looking at right. you with that uh, instrument on your lap. It's shiny. Normally, <laughs> my guitars are like the opposite of shiny. This one happens to be shiny... Courtesy of the Shanghai Rematch Resonator Limited, manufacturer of guitars, a fine quality uh, uh, resonator guitars that it was my great good fortune to stumble upon at the NAM show last year in Anaheim. I don't know if, it, well, musicians would know, but the NAM show is like the grail, the holy grail. Uh, for musicians to attend the show in hopes of getting and scoring free mer free <laughs> instruments or electronic doodads and whatnot. It's a con it's convention where music uh, instruments... Manufacturers. Manufacturers. That's, it's the National Association of Mus Music Manufacturers. And they're showcasing. Yeah, over like two or three days. And I, you know, I'd heard about it, and I happened to find myself out in that neck of the woods. And my nephew said, you got to attend this with me. And so uh, another friend of mine, Phil Mango, I'll mention her, uh, had scoped out the joint and found a whole concentration of Chinese instrument manufacturers who had been unfairly ghettoized in the basement of the convention center in their own little particular backwater area. But uh, I was so glad to meet them. And uh, right away I found... This guy was making beautiful replicas of famous guitars in Shanghai. And I picked up one and played it, and it just sang. It was like it was, it spoke to me. And I said, Well, you know, I have a whole history of playing Chinese music. And in fact, I'm here today coming right from a session working on a record with a great Chinese singer and Arhu player, Fei Yang, and Jason Candler. It's a multi-instrumentalist saxophone player, uh, doing up new versions of Chinese music. Anyway, I digress. So uh, I played for them some of my arrangements, and they said, we're going to give you one of our guitars, okay, when we get back to China. And lo and behold, this thing, you know, marched over the doorstep a month or so later, and I've been, you know, loving it. So I thought I'd bring it up yeah. here. To no, it's you, it's yeah. not as if you were not an adept of. Well, we could we could go in any number of directions. I was going to ask you about. Uh, it looks like, from what I know, and I don't know if I've ever looked at one closely enough, like a national steel guitar. Yeah, 
and um, is, yes, yeah. it's uh, essentially that. It's except uh, that. This is a Jonathan, it says on the tab. Okay. I don't know who that, maybe that was the guy, the chief, you know, in the in the factory in Shanghai who made it. But it was, it was something that I selected, and I played another one there, and I just thought, this is great. It also has a built-in lipstick pickup. Now, I have a 1920s National Steel Duolian, which I played for years. And in fact, the piece I'm going to play, I played with that guitar, uh, my friend Hal Wilner's tribute to Charles Mingus, Weird Nightmare, which I would love to alert you guys to. It was a great album with fantastic musicians like Dr. John and uh, so on, Bill Frizzell, so on and so forth. Uh, and I did this piece, Haitian Fight Song, one of my favorite Mingus pieces, in a brief interlude on that record, on that national steel. But I've now put that guitar on the shelf. Not for good, but for the moments while I really work out the intricacies of this beautiful, shiny beast here. So and you're cradling in my lap. You're going to play Haitian fight song for yeah. us. Fantastic. A favorite, A favorite. Mingus composition. Right, so. Man, let it rip. Okay. Well, uh, Treat man, Gary Lucas playing his beautiful Shanghai rematch resonator limited. I gotta give them the yeah, full Monty yeah, of a plug here. They deserve it. They deserve it. Now one of the loudest guitars I've ever played, acoustic guitars, big advantage. These resonator guitars were designed to be heard over small groups. That's how they got first invented. In fact, it was a way to pre-electric guitar was a way to kind of be heard over a, a small band. And it's, so. if you haven't seen them, I mean, it, the whole body that you're accustomed it's shiny. to seeing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, a chromed yeah, steel. Yeah, it is. Beautiful. And a uh, beautiful um, construction manufacturer. I highly recommend it. Please remit check to... No, it's, <laughs> I, I think, I don't know if they're online, but I did, I plugged them on Facebook which even if you're not my Facebook friend, you could view you my be. comings and goings. Yeah, I mean, I'll eliminate some people in the dead of night here. That's what I do. I shut the iron door oh, are on. You, are you uh, <laughs> overbooked? I think they allow 5,000 friends, supposed friends, and uh, I'm at like 4,998, and whenever it gets a little bit too cramped up there, 
the deadbeats who don't <laughs> interact with me get stricken from the list, although it's been embarrassing because I didn't think people were following me, and they were like, how did you defriend me? I was like, you know, wow. I don't mean to. I Lurker. was just trying to get people who were going to be more interactive, yeah. but I yeah. mean, you know, it's bullshit. So. Grass okay. does not grow under Gary Lucas's feet. No. He is always got a bunch of really cool, exciting things. I'm trying to stay busy... And Folks, I, <laughs> doing it, and also fantastic artwork you share and music that you. Yeah, enjoy. no, I like to. I mean, I, I think Facebook and these social media things are best for givers who want to like turn people on to stuff. That's my joy. It's like shedding light on dark corners of culture that should be better known. I'm a big champion of underdog artists uh, in all media, so. Yeah, I mean, if there's something I get excited about that you may not know, such as the beautiful paintings of the British modernist painter and writer and polemicist Wyndham Lewis, yeah, you might encounter them on my Facebook page once in a while, or Captain Beefheart, who I played with most famously <laughs> for five years. And, and yes, uh, I share a lot of his artwork on there. I mean... Just for people's enjoyment, you know, and to, like try and blow some minds and tell people what's, you know, some new perspectives on, on stuff. A lot of the stuff never made the canons, you know, of great artists or great works of art. So true. There's a lot of overlooked people like that in the world, obviously. Friend up Gary Lucas, G-A-R-Y-L-U-C-A-S. Yeah, it's not the ball player. <laughs> I think there is a guy. One second, you can Google me. You might get pages on this. Like, I don't know what team he plays. I'm not really a sports guy, but uh, Phil Schaap would be able to Phil tell you if he was here. What yes, but uh, yeah, and Gary. Also, you could find out when he is playing in your area, which could be anywhere on the face of the earth. Yeah, but this week, my next gig, I have a gig coming up. Shameless self promotion. Friday at 7:30 p.m at the Metrograph Theater, which is the best art cinema in New York in my book. And uh, they're on 7 Ludlow Street, right on the edge of Chinatown. Beautiful repertory theater with several rooms with various uh, screenings going on every day of cool and amazing stuff. And on Friday at 7.30 p.m., I am playing a live score that I composed for a great, rare, and legendary film with a Hall Halloween motif, and that is the Spanish-language Dracula. And uh, what that is, is back in the 30s, before they invented dubbing or even had that technology to make alternate soundtracks for various markets in foreign languages, what they would do in those days is just make another version of the same film with, let's say, for the Spanish market, a Latin-speaking cast. And thus it was with Dracula. In 1931, simultaneous to the filming of Bela Lugosi's Dracula in Hollywood on Universal Studios' backlots, at night, a new director, an Englishman named George Melford, came in and ran herd over a disparate bunch of Latino actors, including the guy playing Dracula. It's a Spanish actor named Carlos Velarias. 
And the woman known as Lucy in the original film, Lucy Harker, if you know your Bram Stoker, is called Eva in this version. She's played by the great Lupita Tovar, who is a Mexican spitfire. And the third actor of note in there is uh, a Cuban actor who plays Renfield. And these performances are even more over the top than Lugosi's performance or Dwight Fry's Renfield. You have to see this film. Many film critics consider it clearly superior to Dracula insofar as the camera moves. Dracula is famously a statically filmed stage play, essentially, as good as it is. Uh, there's better editing rhythms going on. The costumes are hotter. The women are sexy. I mean, what can, what's not to like about this film? You would love it, I'm telling you, people. So I hope to see you this Friday night, October 19th, 7.30 p.m. at the Metrograph, where I will play a live solo score to accompany this film. Now, how can I accompany a sound film in Spanish, you might ask? I'm asking. Uh, very easily, because this being the Depression, like Dracula with Lugosi, there is no music score on the soundtrack, except for a small bit. And just that. That's it. Too far. All right. I hope I didn't. No, no, no. No, no, no. Okay, pop my peas there. Like Dracula, there is no music on the soundtrack. It was the Depression, and they couldn't afford it. Yes, that's Gary Lucas. And he was in the studio with me October of 2018, a podcast on the topic of Charles Mingus. But you know that because you just listened to the whole thing. This is a little bit of an unusual week. We only have two sections. Actually missing the last part of this podcast. If you happen to have it, uh, if you recorded it at home, let us know. You could do that by following us on Instagram. You can always find us on uh, what are we? We're Deep Focus Podcast. Deep underscore focus underscore podcast on Instagram. would love to hear from you, especially if you have that recording or whatever you might have. You know what tonight is? It's nighttime here in New York City, looking out at the skyline. I got out and heard some live music, went to City Winery. I heard Yorma Kalkinen. Man, he sounded great. And it was so sweet being out there. And I mean, everybody. Everybody, the audience, the staff working at the venue, especially the artists, all just really overflowing with emotion of, um, you know, that old story. We don't know. You don't know what you have till you don't have it anymore. And people were so moved by the opportunity to share music together as performers, as listeners, was really absolutely beautiful. And everyone there was vaccinated. And I'm hearing a lot of stories from venue owners, from artists, from everybody that they really want to make sure that everybody who's coming out at night is taking a simple precaution of being vaccinated. So everyone has the opportunity to do so. So if you get the chance, you definitely want to do that or when you get the chance. I hope it comes your way soon if it hasn't already. Um, here in the States, most people have public access to it. I got it done. It was free. It was so 
organized and such a sense of optimism from everybody who was getting vaccinated, performing the vaccinations. We can beat this thing. We can do this. We get back to listening to live music together. I want to share that with you. So make sure you get out and do that. Okay. So this is two parts. There's This was part one. There's one more part. Please do go enjoy that and listen to all the episodes of Deep Focus. There's almost 150 of them up there. You can find them on your favorite podcasting app or at mitchgoldman.podbean.com. Go do make be. I'll see you over there. Glad you're coming along.